You are all weirdos. Weird Revolution. Welcome all you weirdos, Krakoan refugees, and everyone who loves to find big, silly mistakes in comic books. It is time for the landmark 75th episode of the Weird Dose of X, the mutant member of your Weird Science family of podcasts. I'm your host, Jason, broadcasting from the Wrong Turn Studio, perched high atop stately Weird Science Tower, and here with me live, after having had Professor X remove all knowledge of last week's soccer match, is my pal Ruben. So, so Ruben, do you remember what soccer is? And you just go whole hog and have him just take it all out. Yeah, no, uh, I I wanted to keep the love there. So <laughs> <laughs> my recollection of what happened at the game is much worse than <laughs> probably what really happened. Oh, well, well, I, I hear the mind weave stories about <laughs> such things. Yes. Oh, that's, uh, well, today we have three books to talk about. Um, spoiler alert, I'm not too crazy about any of them. Uh, one of them is kind of bigger than others in character sense. The others just kind of happen. But I'm sure we're going to have some laughs along the way. Uh, so those books are Ms. Marvel, The New Mutant, number four of four, Realm of X, number four of four, and X-Men Blue Origins, number one of one. Are uh, you ready to go? Yeah. Yeah, Jim wants me to hit this ding sound now. Okay, that's how he knows we're going to talk about our first book, which is Ms. Marvel, The New Mutant, number four of four, What It Means to Be a Mutant. Written by Iman Balani and Sabir Pirzada, art by Carlos Gomez and Adam Gorham, colors by Eric Arseniega, letters by Joe Caramagna, and designed by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. So when we left off at the end of issue three, Kamala and Bruno were in Kamala's dorm room, were about to get blasted all to hell by a sentinel. When we come back in at the beginning of issue four here, I, I guess that blast has already happened. Now, luckily, Kamala and Bruno just happen to be hiding behind the only part of the dorm wall that was strong enough to not get them blasted all to hell. And also between issues, the sentinel has it stopped attacking them. It's backed off, given them enough time to have this deep and meaningful conversation, and also for Kamala to change into her Ms. Marvel now. So a really polite thoughtful sentinel here very nicely yes this whole like getting changed thing oh, how did this writer get another another series oh, I, very... was, I was saving that for the, the big uh, the big spoiler round but yeah there is going to be another ms marvel book with these same two writers uh yeah we'll, we'll talk about if we're going to ever read it or discuss it but well let's we'll save that to the end okay so maybe the sentinel's just really bashful speaking of this sentinel so a couple of questions for you just just <laughs> check your memory here in this issue of ms marvel issue number four yes. what kind of sentinel are they fighting yeah that's well, a classic one right no this issue right right now in oh, this, this issue, one, what are they this fighting? one is a stark sentinel yes stark sentinel uh, big old giant Tony Stark, Iron Man looking Sentinel. And are there multiple Sentinels punching around on campus right now or or just the one? There, that's a good question. I thought as, it was alerted, right? Like it, it detected a mutant, so I think it came from somewhere. Yeah. I don't think there's like as, a ton of no, Sentinels. As far as we know, until the end of this issue, there's just one Sentinel on campus looking for Ms. Marvel, the one that just blasted her at the end of the last issue. So last question. What kind of sentinel was it that was threatening Kamala and Bruno at the end of the previous issue, issue number three? Yeah, it was the purple one, which I think the, we called out as like weird, right? Because we were like, why is there this old school style sentinel here? Yeah, it was a regular sentinel. I, I think it's the Mark 
four, I don't know, it's the, it's the blue and purple one that looks like it's wearing a knit wool cap. So is there any way to explain how the Sentinel changed types between issues? Or is this purely just a really funny editorial error? Yeah, it's obviously an error. But I'm going to say it saw her changing and it's like, you want to get into your cool outfit? I'm going to get into my cool outfit. <laughs> that is the best possible explanation. I like it. I'd hit, I'd hit Ding Sound for you, uh, Ruben, <laughs> but that would just confuse Jim and he'd make, think we'd go on to another issue. So I, I think it is better that it's a Stark Sentinel, right? It makes it feel yeah, no, more it modern. Yeah, no, more sense. <laughs> more part of Fall of X. Just a, just a funny mistake. Possibly the most entertaining thing of the issue for me, personally. I was just, I just went back because I wanted to see, oh, how does the last issue blend into the beginning of this one? Because it picks up right moments later and, and just noticing that made me laugh very hard. Okay, so trying to move on past that funny little thing and actually talk about the story, Ms. Marvel jumps out to fight the Stark Sentinel, and the fighting bits here are entertaining enough, right? She stretches, she makes herself into this kite shape, she catches falling debris that would have crushed some of the other dorm residents. Completely fine, right? Just kind of standard stuff, nothing to write home about, but gets the job. Now, meanwhile, Bruno and Michelle, that's Kamala's long-suffering roommate, they help out by creating a mini- fusion bomb. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? That's right, Marty. (laughs) This sucker is nuclear. Uh, So between this series and Uncanny Avengers, that makes two nuclear bombs on Empire State University campus, presumably at the same time. What are the odds? Well, it's pretty easy to build those two, right? That's what I've heard. It reminds me of the old joke about the guy who uh, gets onto an airplane and he brings a bomb with him because, like, what are the odds there'd be two, right? So, but yeah, very funny. So this one gets powered up by using a fishbowl to concentrate energy from the Sentinel's own chest blaster. I don't think that makes sense, but fine. I think it's comic book science, but yeah, God, this is bad. It's it's not the best comic book science, but close enough. The improvised nuclear device goes off on campus. Fusion bomb. Yeah, made out of a fishbowl. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? <laughs> yeah, nuclear <laughs> bomb just goes off on campus. <laughs> having no fallout, either literal or, or figurative, but it deactivates the Sentinel, which just happens to fall in such a way as to reveal and destroy the underground Orcus lab, damaging Omega Sentinel, wrapping all of the problems of this entire series up in a very neat little bow yes. by accident. So that's the main victory sorted, but we do get a few epilogue scenes. At the end of last issue, Orcus scientist Dr. Nikita Gaia was also in the underground Orcus lab, but I guess she bugged out between issues because she's now left Orcus and is hanging out as an independent evil scientist in Kerala, India. Uh, o- Omega Sentinel sends Dr. Gaia a message accusing her of, quote, going easy on Ms. Marvel. Dr. Gaia pleads guilty to this and says she was just testing Kamala, testing Ms. Marvel, doesn't know her real name. Mm-hmm. Genetically, it seems, she has a special watch. Her watch, Ruben. Her watch has as processing with a DNA spiral on it. But she's, you know, Kamala's all about genes now. Yes. And I guess Dr. Guy is being set up as a long-term nemesis for Ms. Marvel? Is is that what's going on here? It has to be, but why? <laughs> it makes no sense to me at all. She was, like, just working for Orcus five seconds ago, and then she's like, meh, this isn't working out, I'm going to go to my beach resort and quit. And also, I've got a problem with Ms. Marvel for some reason. I don't even understand the animosity. Like, what's the problem with Miss Marvel? I got when she was part of Orcus, right? But mm-hmm. if she's not really committed to the anti-mutant agenda, then why is she still picking a fight with Miss Marvel? 
darn good question. Maybe we get some Dr. Gaia backstory in the next series, or maybe there'll be a Dr. Gaia one-shot. But yeah, Uh, another epilogue bit is Kamala talking to Emma Frost. Emma reveals that she knows all about Kamala's dreams that have been leading every issue. How did Emma Frost know this? She doesn't say, I've been reading your mind, which would be creepy, but how else would she know? Oh, all all people who find out they have a mutant gene have these crazy dreams. Weird. She also says to Kamala, quote, imagine your mutation is like a flower about to bloom, which feels like she's about to give the sex talk to Kamala. Very creepy. Uh, but it never gets a chance because the branch is severed. That's what happened when you were exposed to the Terrigen Mist. But you've since grown a new branch. The mutation could function separately from your existing inhuman abilities, but it's equally possible it will replace them entirely. The choice is yours. What does any of that mean? <laughs> Kamala has a choice? When, when has choice ever come into the concept of immune ability activating? Did, did Nightcrawler have a choice? That is it, a big uh, retcon, right? If this is, you take all this as accurate, right? Oh, every mutant that looks freaky made the yeah, choice the, to the, look that the way. The ones in the the, what, the Morlocks, none of them had a choice. Glob. That's the whole point of being a mutant is something happens to you up uh, either as you're a teen or sometimes when you're an infant, it appears and changes you in some way, and you had no choice about it. That's the whole metaphor. So this changes. So I just read this as the current writers; they just don't have permission to show what the new mutant ability is, and so they have to make up this nonsense to explain why. Yes. I thought the only point of this whole series was to have the big reveal in this issue of, like, here's your power, right? Your new power. That's what we were debating, yeah. And I, I really don't know what the point of the series was It's now. trying to have it both ways. She's a mutant. Ms. Marvel, new mutant, and she keeps talking about how, oh, I, I really understand what it is to be a mutant now. I am a mutant. <laughs> but what <laughs> what mutantness does she have? Is it just the whole, she showed herself to be a mutant with the X on her costume, now she's got the hated and feared thing going on. So is the essence of being a mutant being hated by humans? Yeah. Is uh, that the identity politics thing going on here, which is unpleasant? Yeah. You get sentinels after you, that's what it means. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay away from the whole modern conception of identity and persecution thing, but there is a real subtext here of that that I think is undeniably very 2023 in a way that I'm not so comfortable with, but it's it's there. Uh, anyway, leaving that behind, uh, another scene, uh, but same scene actually with Emma, where Emma gives Kamala this golden armband that she says belongs to Kamala, was passed along to Emma by Spider-Man. Now, in the MCU, in the movies and TV shows, this bit of jewelry is connected to the source of Kamala's powers in some complicated way. In the comics, it's just a fairly a family heirloom, some jewelry, that Bruno modified to act like a carrying case for Kamala's stuff, like, like a sparkly fanny pack. But I wondered, how did Spidey get it? So I traced backwards through Kamala's appearances. Yeah, I love this. It's cracked me In up. this miniseries, <laughs> prior to the scene, she's not wearing it. She is in the dream sequences, but that doesn't count. I went back through the Hellfire Gala, and the Death of Ms. Marvel tribute issue, not there, again, other than flashbacks, etc. So then it's back to Amazing Spider-Man 26, the issue where Kamala dies. On the final page of that issue, Kamala's dead, Peter Parker is holding her lifeless body in that Pieta pose, however you say that sculpture name. Uh, on the final page in that issue, uh, the arm, Kamala's dead, Kamala's wearing the armband, Peter Parker's holding her, <laughs> and the issue ends. That's the last panel. So Peter wouldn't just take it off her 
corpse, right? Because it's yeah. not like they need to hide that she's Ms. Marvel. Once she dies, it's known. Is is it known that they're the same person? I completely forget. I think it is, right? She's a grave. He's a grave robber. <laughs> Do you remember? Is it? Does it become public briefly that she was Ms. Marvel, or was this? I wasn't reading any of that. I think actually it was treated like two separate deaths. Yeah. So maybe her her you know her Ms. Marvel uniform had to be taken off. Yeah. Before she's returned to her parents, which is horrible to think about. I think Peter's just like she ain't gonna. She ain't got no use for that cool bracelet where she's going. I got this guy hanging around <laughs> trying to collect on my medical debts. You know, just to get me out of a couple of jams. Ugh. But yes, yeah, so how did it get to her? Did it get to her parents? But then it all gets retconned right away because everyone forgets that Ms. Marvel or Kamala Khan ever died, which now makes me think: whatever happened to the original Kamala Khan's corpse? I don't know Islamic burial funeral traditions, so I, I don't know if there's probably a gravestone somewhere that uh, Emma had to remove to erase the idea. Again, this brings up so many things that Marvel doesn't want us to think about with his retcon. Just very uncomfortable. Well, when they do their Blackest Night ripoff in <laughs> 10 years, it'll be a fun little Oh, wow. Blackest surprise. Night with all the corpses rising from all the many mutant deaths in the Resurrection Era. All those Wolverine skeletons walking around. <laughs> I like it. Again, you have so many good ideas this episode, Ruben. Very cool. Okay. So I think we've now spent about five times as much thought and energy on this topic than anyone actually connected the book to. So we're going to move on. The only purpose of this whole series, I'm going to say, is to like completely ruin Omega Sentinel and make her... Oh, that's the worst part. If you thought she was cool, nah, she's not. She's kind of a dope. I like how she was like, Orcas can't find you unless you want to be found. I'm like, aren't you part of Orcas and haven't you found her? <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what uh, Omega Sentinel says to Dr. Gaia on the phone very weird and she also talks about how she'd like short circuit herself like three times to get rid of the, the yeah. zappy zap that dr gaia did to her yeah it sounded like she kind of committed suicide i'm like how does that work <laughs> omega sentinel i mean even early on in the this era she was a really cool character and then we found out about her whole alternate timeline going back in time thing which made her so much even cooler and now she's just a flunky to make Dr. Gaia look cool, right? She's she's that wrestler that the new wrestler gets to beat to make the new wrestler seem tough. Yeah, really disappointing. Because I thought she was super cool in Inferno when you find out that she was from a future where the mutants won. And so she was like kind of a reverse Terminator. Yeah, I, I think the good news is that I don't expect any other writers to remember that this series exists, right? This is not going to change Omega Sentinel into a goofball going forward. Next time we see her, I'm sure she'll be highly capable, which will make me struggle to reconcile this. I look her, forward to it. I hope she's a big part of the whole Fothox Rotpox story, which she should be because she was a big part of the whole structure of, of this well, era. She was buddy-buddy with Nimrod, right? Like They were the only two that were like representing Yeah, the they had this whole secret side. conspiracy within the Orcus conspiracy, and I want to see what happens there. Okay, let's wrap this silly thing up. The, the downsides, uh, a generally lame story, somehow a worse X story for having Ms. Marvel in it, and a worse Ms. Marvel story for forcing X stuff into it, uh, Omega Sentinel being nerfed, Dr. Gaia being not nearly as interesting as they think. Upsides, no dream sequence this issue. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> Sentinel fight, completely fine, completely yeah. adequate. Uh, the yeah. magically metamorphosizing Sentinel, hilarious. I love it. 
Uh, and the art, solid rendition of Marvel House style. Gomez and Gorm draw a really nice Stark Sentinel. Glad there's a Stark Sentinel here, so that's cool. But yeah, overall, completely unnecessary title. We didn't need to read it. It's a Ms. Marvel fan thing that just kind of has weird X stuff around the edges. Uh, a four out of ten. I thought you were going to go a lot higher. That was going to make me angry, but I'm at a three. And I'm only giving it a three because, like you said, we didn't have a dream sequence. Before you said that, that, that is a big plus. I was probably at a two. The series was so terrible, and like I really don't get any joy from it, or I see any point to it. Um, is, is four issues to get Kamala her bracelet back? Is that really what the point of this miniseries was? That is kind of what happened. That's the upshot. Yeah, is that that's the only thing that really changes besides the creation of this hot new character for 2023, Doctor yeah. What's Your Name Gaia. Yeah. Well, okay. So before we go on to the next book, uh, I I just. We, we mentioned there's another series coming up. It is going to start in March of 2024, written by the same writers with artist Scott Godleski, who's currently on the Alpha Flight Mini. We like him. Uh, it's going to be called Ms. Marvel colon Mutant Menace. So she's still got the mutant thing going on. At least on the covers I've seen, there's no you know, Fall of X or other X-related trade dress on it. So I'm going to take that as an excuse for us to say, oh, that's... That's not our business. Jim wants to do Ms. Marvel. Jim can do Ms. Marvel on the Marvel podcast, but I'm pretty sure we're going to skip it. You you cool with that? No, we have to review it. Yeah, no. no. I, <laughs> I, I'm prob- I'm sure I'm going to at least flip through it, you know, the review copies. Yeah. If anything important, important X-related happens. happens, you know, we'll bring it up. But otherwise, we'll have plenty else to talk about. My strong belief is don't read books that you dislike longer than you have to or just make you into Jim Werner. Nobody nobody needs that. Nobody needs that. (laughs) How dare you! Moving on to Realm of X, number 404, The Promised Day. Written by Torin Ronbeck, art by Diogenes Neves and Rafael Pimental, colors by Rain Berido and Dono Sanchez Almara, letters by Clayton Cowles, designed by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. Well, it's over. Uh, The prophecy was fulfilled. We could probably go back and try to match up which characters and which bits of the story supposed to have fulfilled which parts of the prophecy. Yeah. I don't I don't think it's worth it. I don't care enough to do that. The original art team is back, plus some extra names. So perhaps Diages Neves and Rain Berido were maybe pure speculation here. Maybe they were still kind of behind, needed some help to get the book done on time. The last couple pages weren't weren't quite in the same exact style as the first one. So I'm just, you know, again, kind of a guess. I think maybe those pages are what Raphael Pimental worked on, but pretty similar, just, just a little different. Overall, this issue isn't as cool looking as the first issue of the series, but it looks a, a whole lot better than the cartoon world that we got in issue number three. So visuals, they're fine. So We didn't get enough of the space people with their slingshots, though. That made me upset. Like Once you pointed out that, I was like, that's all I was looking for in every shot. We don't, we don't see... <laughs> them on their little speeder bikes with their slings. And also, we don't really know why Saturn was working with them, do we? Speaking of these alien people? I don't even know who they are. Yeah, I don't know what Saturnine's agenda was. It sounds like she's trying to reform her citadel and make Vanaheim the center. We so know like, she wanted access to that world. power, but what that had to do with these interdimensional aliens, I don't think was ever made clear. I think overall... There was a lot of things set up in this story that should have had consequences, and none of them have consequences. It, it, we have, we, oh, aliens, what are they about? Oh, this prophecy. Oh, magic lost her magic. 
oh, dust lost her dust. Oh, there's this big power that if it comes back, something bad's going to happen. Oh, if, what, if, what if Thor finds out? And all these things happen, but there's no consequences. Is the ghost a ghost, or is the ghost just a person <laughs> hanging on the ceiling? We see them in this issue, but I still don't know what it is. Yeah, the, uh, Joanna. Joanna Threepwood? Something like that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, last issue, Curse finally saw through Saturnine's machinations and used her curse powers to break the barrier hiding Vanaheim from the rest of the realms. This alerts Sif that something is up, because she's the all-seer one now who takes care of the, the Bifrost Bridge, and she alerts Thor. Now, again, you'd think that this would be a big deal, right? They do show up in the story, but they don't really have any big outcome. They're just kind of there. But it means that Sif can be on scene at the end to send our characters back to Earth. That's the only reason they're here. And also, I guess, so they can put they put them under the cover? They don't even put them on the cover, at least not on the A cover that I have. Okay, so another thing that happened last issue, we saw Magic tossed off a tower by Saturnine, plummeting towards her death. Yep. She does a thing where she draws power from the misery of everyone in this world, especially Curse, and she goes Super Saiyan, which confusingly makes her look even more like Saturnine than she did in previous <laughs> issues. You know, magical yeah. blonde ladies with power shooting out of their fingers. Yeah, I had to keep saying, okay, which which one is this? And it didn't help. But also, how is this magic different from magic's usual magic? We're told it's wild and dark magic. Now, yeah, she was it's like a terrible thing that she did. Yeah, they're like, oh, it's so bad that she's accessed this type of magic. And I'm like, why? The, the Queen of Limbo, really she, that's wild and dark magic. That's her shtick. Yeah. And again, it's, this should have some big consequence, but she just has her regular powers. And she can do... Huda, 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 and make bad guys melt into goop. Uh, other things that happen. Curse knocks over a glass jug and frees some of Dust's dust. So Dust gets her dust back and can shoot dust out of her face at people. Yeah. Another subplot is didn't land. Oh, oh, that veneer guy who Typhoid Mare was flirting with, and my brain wants to make a venereal disease joke, but I yeah. can't quite make it. Maybe I'll come <laughs> up with it later and Jim can edit it in. Yeah, his name was Vonos. Uh, he and Mary have a smooch before battle. And he ends up getting blowed up by Saturnine's alien pals. The only yeah. named character who dies, right? The only one. Now, do you think Mary's dalliance with Vonos is going to have any repercussions? Like when she, when she goes back again and shows up in Iron Man or maybe in the Spider-Man gang war event, is this going to have a complication in her marriage to Fisk? Yeah, I'm curious about that because I thought they had a strong relationship, but maybe not. You certainly think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert on the Mary, like the Typhoid Mary Fisk relationship, but this is the only thing that I found, found interesting. And then, of course, you're like, what a, what a strumpet she was. <laughs> now, historically, Typhoid Mary has multiple personalities. Yeah. So maybe it's a, some personality. And now, if they had leaned into that in this book, right? None of that is mentioned in this book. Oh, if, if we had seen, oh, this is her other alternate person coming out and acting this way. That could be interesting, but that's it's not at all mentioned here. May, I, I'm going to guess it's just going to be shoved aside like anything that happened in Ms. Marvel, but may, maybe, maybe this will be part of Gang War. I need a reason to like think this series had a purpose, mm -hmm. but maybe but that could be a, a cool dynamic because Fisk, his only goal right now is to try to get his wife back. He is, seems totally devoted to her. He Remember, he rode away from his whole crime world life. To be with Mary because it wasn't the rest of that life wasn't fulfilling to him. That was his whole daredevil arc. Now he's pulled back into it because he needs to use these mutants to get his wife back. Yeah, 
I mean, he could he could be heading towards a cliff, right? We've got Sebastian Shaw with like secret passwords that are going to allow him to take over Hellfire, and then his wife comes back, and their relationship is in shambles. I could see this turning him into like a big adversary to the mutants, right? Yeah, this could go a whole bunch of different ways right now. He's got a lot of cool things in his current story that I, I want to see where they work out. And I hope this adds to it and rather than just being a thing to fill some page space in Realm and doesn't go anywhere. Okay, so the key moment of the story happens when Curse wishes slash curses that wouldn't it be cool if magic got what that power-hungry witch wants? It's a direct quote. Now, what that power-hungry witch wants is that secret venereal power source. Uh, the one that was locked away. This is a curse meant to help someone, which means by the rules, it causes harm to curse herself. Uh, we were told that because freeing the power source was such a huge thing, the punishment would also be huge, probably would kill curse, which the witch didn't care about. So what horrible thing happens to curse because she makes this sacrifice, Ruben? <laughs> she falls to the ground briefly and then gets Her back up and she's and fine. Half. Yeah. Completely fine. <laughs> takes a little nap. Zero long-term consequences. Again, that's the story of this, this story. Things are set up to have consequences. Yeah, the whole thing was like, no she can't just get it herself because if she does, it'll kill her. So she's going to use curse to do the hoodoo and be a sacrifice to getting the power back into the room. Yeah. No, it's all good. <laughs> so either should really hurt curse or maybe someone else somehow sacrifices themselves to save her. But there's just no... Just, maybe nothing it's, happens there. Maybe it's a halfy because it did hurt the uh, Saturnine, right? In a way, she didn't get what she wanted, but then it helped magic as well. So maybe those two things kind of negated each yeah, other. Yeah, the, the, the rules here are a little hazy to me. <laughs> so magic gains control of this you know, huge power associated with the realm. And here's where the art has some difficulty telling the story, at least, or I'm having difficulty getting the story from the art, at least. I think magic uses the power to close off those portals and prevent the aliens coming through. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I, and I think that's what ultimately wins the battle. Yeah. Because then there's Vanaheim and Asgardians fighting the people that are already there. Yeah. So that should be a really big moment, but it passes in some really small, kind of roughly drawn panels. Yeah. It's not really emphasized at all. Well, again, this and it, this is a complaint I had about this series before. It's supposed to be some epic, large-scale war. And it's like, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven characters on a panel. That's like the biggest scene that we get of the massive. Yeah, know, this is this is not Helmsdeep. Yeah, it just doesn't. I mean, compare this to X Men Red, right? A lot of that art did look epic, right? It looked like Lord of the Rings scale. Yeah, good like comparison. Massive, massive battles, and the art here just makes me think it's like a small skirmish. Yeah, and we didn't people. need pages and pages of that in Red. Just. Just pull, you know, pull back the camera a little bit. Give us like one really epic spread page and some people talking or narration even to tell us what's going on, just to give us a sense of scale. And here, there's there's no scale, there's no stakes. So it's impressive. Like I, more kudos to that artist. I can't remember who it was, but I just think like every time I think of that series, I think of like just these huge armies fighting each other, right? And this does not look like that ever. Not at all. So after winning the battle, Magic then gives the power quote. Back to the realm, which makes the war-torn war land, that's hard to say, green and alive. Now, once again, super reminiscent. I don't know if you've read these or seen the movies, but it reminds me of the end of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now, Narnia freed from its own white witch, and in that case, it's winter that goes away and spring comes in. I do think that book was a, a huge 
unmentioned influence on Torin Grombeck's writing of the story. I mean, Curse yeah. is just a gender-swapped, pink-skinned version of Edmund. Yeah. If anyone who's read those books knows who Edmund is, and you're going, yeah, that Curse is just Edmund. I thought they sealed away no, – I, I have, but it's been a while. I thought they sealed away the magic in Vanaheim for some reason, right? Like, didn't the sure people did. of Vanaheim not want it, and so now it's back? Isn't that a problem? Yep. I, I looked that up, too, back in issue one of, of this same series, written by this same writer. The mutants were told that the veneer used to be super strong, had these big cities, like were you know big players in the, the politics of the realms. And here's the quote. But our strength came with attention, unrest, war. So we changed the fate of the realm, left the cities to ruins, and chose a simpler existence. And they did that by locking away this power. Major turning point of the history of the entire realm. And curse and magic just undid it. So will the power's return bring problems for the realm? Are there any downsides? <laughs> Again, set up to have consequences. Yes, the no five people that live in Vanaheim, <laughs> they're going to go to war. Yeah, so this book just doesn't, it doesn't even ask the question, right? It doesn't give us explanation. It just forgets that was set up at all. The only thing that happens is that all these, all six of these ladies get sent back home in the final panel by Sif's magic rainbow bridge powers, and that's where it ends. So for me, this series had one half of one issue that was worth reading. That was the cursed scenes of the first issue that, again, I really hoped, oh, I'm finally going to get to know and love this character of curse and nothing happened rest of it forgettable silliness zero consequences for the world or the characters or anything else and as you mentioned ruben we don't even find out what the deal is with joanna the ghost yeah joanna the ghost i don't know if magic has power or not anymore i don't know let's see what else we don't even know why magic lost her powers do we no she just did she just did. <laughs> well, we know she had something weird with the nanobots because of things that happened in back on Krakoa. But oh, then yeah. it was said that things were different. I, I don't know. It was kind of kind of tied in. We'll see what happens to her. Anyway, I give this final issue of Realm of X a three out of ten. I can't go worse than Miss Marvel because I oh I for me it's worse Miss Marvel more. But yeah, this for me is another three. This is just another stinker. Another three. I was remotely interested in this this group that exists but this is like now another realm that i don't know somebody better needs to pick this up and and make it a more distinct realm as far as i can tell it's just a nice little grassy village right with like a fantasy realm it does kind of feel like it was a place picked by the editors or by gronbeck because it kind of doesn't matter it was just a, a place to have a thing happen without consequences okay moving on to our final book which is x-men blue origins number one a.k.a. Uncanny X-Men number 4.5, a.k.a. Kurt Has Two Mommies. Written by Cy Spurrier, art by Wilton Santos, with Orin Jr. on inks, and Marcus Toe, presumably without Orin Jr. on inks. Uh, colors by, I'm going to go with Chechi De La Cruz, like chickpeas. Uh, letters by Joe Caramagna, designed by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. And this is the big issue of the week. I mean, we probably should have put it up front. I, I don't know. Yeah. Who, who programmed this this program? I don't know. I have to find yeah. it. Yeah. Get rid of that guy. It doesn't really have a plot, right? It's just Mystique explaining the latest retcon to Nightcrawler after the Hope Sword undoes the mental block that was hiding the truth, in quotes, from her. I have not read Uncanny Spider-Man number four yet. Shame on me. I will. So I don't know if a lot of this is just a retread, but I find this to be... Dialogue, okay. It's I, I tend to like Sysperius' dialogue. The retconning, I, I thought was kind of cool. It's actually interesting to see how this all spins out, and this can be like a 
you know, a new origin issue. And it seems like a lot of the stuff that's in here is to try to set this up to make it future proof, right? So somebody goes back and they're like, oh, I want to read about Nightcrawler's origin. They can pick up this issue and try to understand what's going on. But I, I think it's kind of like, it's not timeless, unfortunately. I see that Sai was trying to make this timeless, but this, it's almost too connected to what's going on today, right? There's like this sort of, uh, you know, catch you up to speed as to what's going on about the Hellfire Gala first few pages and then, you know, some some sort of loose references to the Banff and what it is. It's just, I can't, I can't imagine somebody like 20 years from now picking this up and being like, oh, yeah, I got everything I need <laughs> in this issue to understand the, the context. I almost wish it was just had all the like attempts to explain what was going on and just give us this retconned origin. See, I kind of liked that part better than some of the other bits. I, I think Sly Spurrier had a difficult task here because he's trying to have it both ways. He's trying to make this a self-contained issue that someone can read 10 years from now and say, okay, what is Nightcrawler's origin? But also have it connect to Fall of X and Uncanny Spider-Man and Hellfire Gala and that. So it is it is a, a difficult task. I kind of wish he had just unmasked. I, maybe this happened in the fourth issue, but I wish he had unmasked and then this was just like him talking to her. That part, I think, would have been So, did you fine. happen to hear me and Jim reviewing that I have that not issue? yet. Yeah, because I like to read the issues and then listen to your feedback. We, we yeah. had a, a bit of a rant because, let me just tell you one thing that happens. So, a Nightcrawler goes up to his mother in the park and says to her, we need to have a talk. You turn the page, there's a completely blank page that just has the words, and they do. See <laughs> X-Men Blue Origin number one. <laughs> which pissed me off because it's just ha 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 the cool stuff happens here we're not yeah. going to tell you until you shell out for this overpriced special That's hilarious show. yeah go buy the second issue and i both gave it the patented fu5s which i very rarely give to these books but i thought was necessary and there's no other score i could possibly give this that score is the famous weird science FU5. FU5. That's what I am. It's just, it's, no other there. it's there to kick you in the balls, to give you, a, you know, set you up to want something and then pull it away by the end. So FU5 for me as well. So back to this book, it, it does use that maybe imaginary Banff character as a narrator. And I thought that was kind of fun. He, he, do, he gets to break the fourth wall, talks directly to the reader, makes some silly jokes. Can we infer anything about what the Banff character might really be from this? Um, no, he just talks not. about how it's important, and you'll find that out in some other story, which is annoying. Yeah, but it to, to me at least it gives some texture to an issue that would otherwise be kind of like just reading a fandom wiki page, right? It, it makes it a little bit of a story. Yeah, this is a lot like reading an X Men Grand Design issue. I don't know if you've checked those out. I read the first a, one, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was basically an attempt to like take all the X Men stories and create a like coherent narrative. And I, I'm going to say those are definitive for now. It's my headcanon they are. Mm -hmm. And this felt very much like that. It's not, it's strange. It's not like a story story, right? It's not like interesting. There's not, <laughs> you're going to laugh when I say it's not interesting. And then I give a you know, high score for this. But <laughs> it, it's more just like you said, like a, like a illustrated wiki page, right? That's just trying to take existing stories, weave them together, and then put a slightly different spin on it. But I found it interesting enough. Um, yeah. So go on. Okay. So, uh, we're not going to go through the issue page by page. What we're going to talk about are the answers to these four questions. Question number one, how is Mystique still alive after her apparent death at the Hellfire Gala? Question two, what was the existing explanation for Nightcrawler's birth? Question three, 
what is the new explanation for Nightcrawler's birth? And number four, why did everybody think the old thing, but now they know the new thing? So those are, those are really the four most interesting questions to answer. You you on board with yeah. this, uh, this method? Sure, sure. All right. Sure. So question number one, how is Mystique still alive? So the Banff tells us that after Charles ordered her to leave the party, and she had that brief abortive career as a cliff diver, she quickly recovered. Hmm and made her way onto a conveniently nearby Orcus, I'm going to call it a yacht, which she sure looked awful dead in the Hellfire Gala, right? She was, her, her brain was scrambled. She fell a long way down onto some rocks. I mean, she is strong. Does she have technically a healing factor or maybe her just her metamorphosizing things? She can make herself a new whatever was broken. Yeah, it's, a, it's the latter. She doesn't really have like a healing factor per se, but we have seen over the years her doing things. I mean, there's a bit here where they talk about how she can't um, replicate mutant abilities. And I'm like, I don't know if that's exactly right. Cause I, I have the, in my brain, like these memories of her being like um, angel or archangel. Like, so I guess it's maybe, maybe if it's like a biological thing, like she a can physical ability, yeah. right? Yeah. But yeah, I guess that's maybe that's it, but she can't like replicate Jean Grey, but she, she can. can't become nightcrawler and, and bamf around. But she's, yeah, I've seen her do some crazy stuff with her body and survive like crazy falls. So that part didn't bug me so much. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Again, comic books, person seems dead, really alive. You just kind of got to go with it. So the yacht, uh, I looked back. It did not appear in the gala issue. I'm wondering about the time frame here. Maybe after all the bad stuff happened, the yacht showed up. But then was it part of the period when Professor X was keeping Orcus off the island? It's, I think it's intentionally unclear exactly when things happen just to make it work. But so she climbs onto the yacht. She kills, I don't know if it's one guard or two guards in the same kind of outfit. But she breaks one's neck and then shoots someone. I don't know if they're the same person. She uses her abilities to take the place of the Orcus guard, a very mystique thing to do, rides away on the yacht. Again, we don't know, is she acting like a guard? Did she kill everyone on the yacht and then pilot it back herself? Somehow... Probably doesn't really matter how she finds her way back to New York City, where she, where we saw her in the first issue of Uncanny Spider-Man. And her mind is already kind of messed up by, you know, Dr. Or Professor X's, you know, mind mojo thing that she was trying to resist. So that's why she's still alive. I'm okay with that. It's not the best explanation ever. No. Oh, aha. That was set up all along. It's like, it, it was fine. It was fine. Question two. What was the old explanation for Nightcrawler's birth? So this is recapped here in, in the Blue Origins issue. The story was originally told in X-Men Unlimited number four and Uncanny X-Men number 428 from 1994 and 2003, respectively. In short, Mystique was married to a German count named Christian Wagner. He wanted kids, but he was medically, biologically, he wasn't able to have a father. He was shooting blanks. Uh, Mystique being Mystique, especially being the Mystique of those late 90s, mid-90s, early 2000s, she was having affairs left and right. One of them being with Azazel, our friend from Dark X-Men, a mutant who was at the time posing as a human who recognized Mystique as a fellow mutant posing as a human. Mystique, in the old telling, fell in love with Azazel, and they conceived Kurt in the aisle of a church directly in front of the altar. Really gross 90s edgelordy stuff. Didn't, didn't care for it. it, it I mean, they, it, they I don't want to see that. Sacrilegious. Yeah. Uh, their love didn't last for long as he turned out to be a jerk. Go figure. Uh, husband Christian became suspicious when his young, lovely wife started looking 
obviously pregnant when he knew he was shooting blanks. So Mystique killed him and hit his body. When Mystique gave birth, the baby was blue and had a tail. And and again, the old telling, the stress of childbirth is what caused Mystique herself to revert to her natural blue form. This freaked the freak out of the doctor and the townspeople, drove mother and baby out of town with torches and pitchforks. Mystique was angry at being spurned by Azazel, so she ran and she tossed baby Kirk off a cliff. Another cliff. Lots of things going off cliffs in this uh, in this story. But he had his first baby bamf before hitting bottom. So that's when he goes and ends up being adopted and having okay. his whole story. By Margol or whatever her name is. Yeah, uh, Mar- Margol- Margolis, I think was her yeah. name. Cool. Ends up in that whole whole Germany thing. And again, we don't see any anything about nothing about destiny in the story. Completely just a uh, mystique running around being a villain at the time, being, you know, very sexually, very active at the time, and just that was her characterization when the story was written. We good on that bit? Okay, moving on to question number three. What is the new explanation for Kurt's birth? Some things remain the same. Mystique was married to the German count, and he did have an affair with a Zazzle. It's made clear now that this was on one of the periodic, mutually consensual like breaks that Mystique and Destiny took off to go boff you know, boff other people. They had this open relationship, very progressive, very 2023. Oh well. Uh, so the first addition to the story is that Mystique hires Destiny to be her maid in her husband's house, so that now the two ladies can go back to having their relationship on the side under the Count's nose. During this period, Destiny brings up wanting to have a child with Mystique, Destiny's idea. Later on, it will be suggested that this is all, more than suggested, really stated, this is all part of a scheme Destiny has relating to her seeing the future, that's her shtick, and she even set Mystique up to have that affair with Azazel. Everything was Destiny's idea. But at the time, Destiny presented the idea as just straightforward, oh, I want to have a family with you. Destiny not really coming off very good in the story to me. It makes Mystique look like, kind of like the victim or like a patsy and Destiny is really running the show. I kind of I kind of like that, though. I mean, Destiny is the more modern characterization of her that we've seen. She is sort of like this, right? Like, even the people that are close to her, she's kind of got her own side agenda. I, I do find that, yeah. It's, it's, explaining it goes along with her them. power. Yep. She sees the future. She is really less concerned with the here and now and current feelings. And she's all about, you know... Steering everything to what she wants. Azazel was going to rule the world unless I do... X, Y, and Z. So that's what she does, even though in the moment, it's really gross telling her wife, girlfriend to go have sex with this other mutant. It's what it is. She, she's, again, she's not a hero. I, I think it can be made to work in her character. Really not a oh, problem. She's, yeah, she's not a hero in any respect. Mm-hmm. Other than, I guess, like, she prevents again, the Azazel from destroying everything. I guess that's heroic, but yeah, If we believe that's what she agenda. really saw, yeah. and we have no proof other than what she says. Yep, and we can't. That's that's the whole thing about destiny. So uh, the two ladies go off into their room. Mystique. We don't see this. It's just spoken of. Mystique morphs up the body parts necessary to get that conception done. Well, she takes on the the as I understood it from reading is she changed her cells to be basically a Zazzle, or at least his his DNA. Hmm. So I think that's why the why Kurt still ultimately looks huh. like a Zazzle. But because he's not involved, right? Like he's not the paternal father, right? I, I guess so. Con. Because 
Destiny says that Azazel needs to think that he's the father of this baby. Yep. Him thinking he's a dad is what changes his actions so he doesn't rule the world. And then there's that database talking about like what Mystique can really do and how she can change her cells. Yeah, there's a, a data page really just another person bumping up everyone's perceptions of Mystique's power. She can do pretty much anything except replicate mutant powers that aren't purely, you know, I have wings so I can fly kind of things. Yeah. That she's not just skin shifting on the outside, that there's, you know, deeper right. genetic level. All the way down to the cellular level. Yeah. Uh, okay, Mystique gets a very 2023 moment here declaring, you know, to Kurt that things like sexes and biology, they don't matter. All that matters is the right for people to, quote, be who they wish. And again, depending on how you feel about 2023 kind of things, you're either going to cheer here or kind of sigh deeply and turn the page. I don't think you need to cheer or sigh. I'm going to challenge you on that. Go I for mean, it. Yep. This is her personality, right? It makes sense. She's very, you know, one track mind, right? And she does, you know, she's been guys, she's been ladies. She's <laughs> she's not really, in a way, you know, you say Destiny's unfair, that she's kind of manipulating Mystique, but Mystique kind of manipulates the rest of the world, right? Like she she's getting exactly what she dishes out to everybody else. And I, I buy that that would be her perspective, that she's going to say, like, nobody can judge me. I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want to do. I could buy that, but it did feel more like less less a character having an opinion in a book and more like the writer turning towards camera and declaring, you know, here I stand. But that's just part of the story. That's what it is. Yeah. I didn't think of this as, like, trying to make Mystique heroic or, you know, everyone high-fiving, right? Saying, like, yeah, you go, girl. Mm, you're uh, You're off Twitter these days, right, Ruben? <laughs> I did quit X, yes. I'm only on if, if you happen to browse the X spoilers oh, hashtag, I can imagine. I can imagine that a whole lot of yeah. high-fiving, you-go-girling. Yeah, but those people are, like, crazy. For sure. I'm going to say, like, that's the same group, right, that, like, anytime, you know, a cisgendered man writes, like, a lesbian character, they'll be like, that was inappropriate. I'm actually kind of surprised that they allowed this, right? Oh, there was complaints about that, too. Yeah, okay, yeah. This is a great story, but Size Fury shouldn't have been the one to write it. Is that is that something that somebody said? Yes, and if you look <laughs> at the credits page, I didn't mention this part, it does say special thanks to Charlie Jane Anders and Steve Fox, which I took as I don't even know how to what kind of consultants, but consultants to make it kind of okay for Size Fury to write this story. Oh I'm assuming they're they're homosexual in some way. Um I I'm not going to qualify what they are, but they are in that genre, in that in, in that area. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to say what their qualifications are. I think they <laughs> added some qualifications to the book to make it okay. In some so we're going to get to a point where, like, I wrote an Iceman story, but it's okay because I consulted with Steve Orlando. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, mean, I don't know. I'm just going to laugh about that, right? Right. Mm -hmm. People can write whatever. I'm going to go off on a diatribe, right? Like, guys can write cool women stories, and I'm sure you can Right. I would, I would certainly hope stories so. about people of different sexualities, right? Like you can write villain stories without being villains. People can write really awful stories about people with their exact same identity characteristics. Yeah. We've seen a lot of that. So, yeah. Well, wait. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Two books that we just read, right? Before this review, before this case, you know, example one and two. But I'll, I'll leave that for anyways, you to say. Anyways, okay. yeah, this Going is too much to about this, book, but we've, we've said what we need to say here. You've pushed back on me a little bit, and that's, that's fine. So, it's Destiny here who carries baby Kurt. Here's one of the big retcons. Destiny is his actual biological carrying the baby mother. That's pretty wild, too, in my mind, that 
we have a it is because remember this was all something like this was originally what Chris Claremont wanted Kurt's origin to be. I don't know the details of it, and I'd really be curious to see him you know, say something and say, oh, here's what I was going to have it be, here's how it different, here's how they made it work in the current continuity. I don't think he's going to say that kind of thing, but I'd be really curious, you know, buy him a cup of coffee or a beer and say, hey, Chris, what do you think of this? Mystique's the father, is that <laughs> just to underline it, right? That's obvious, right? I'm afraid to use what word, <laughs> mother, father in this situation. I just, yeah, I just don't I, know. Understood, understood. Those are just terms, but that's, you know. So going forward here, uh, Mystique, since she can change what her body looks like and acts like at will, she also grows a, uh, I think they call it a baby bump in, in the book itself. I think mean, it's a term they use. You know, her, her, her abdomen area looks like she's pregnant. Uh, in this issue, she says it's to, quote, keep her husband happy, which I don't know what that is, unless you're trying to get rid of the whole, he thought he was shooting blanks and he thought, I, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't know about that detail, so I think that was maybe what's going on. Or maybe, I don't know. It helps with the whole idea of, like, tricking Azazel, right? Exactly. Like he, That's he why it's think. necessary. It should be to keep Azazel fooled. I don't know why the husband thing. It does mention, unless I'm misreading things, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what it says. Uh, so, Mystique still needs to kill her husband off at some point. In this telling, he walks in on Mystique and Destiny in bed together, both with their baby bumps. It's quite a scene. He says, I'm going to say these are some, some rude things that would be very much frowned upon in 2023. <laughs> uh, and Mystique kind of righteously murders him to death for it. Yeah. I, I'm going to, I think he's getting a little bit of a bad rap here. He's, this is a tough day for, for Count Wagner, right? <laughs> I think most husbands outside of, you know, certain films you can get on the internet would be pretty upset to walk in on a scene of their wife and their maid having that time together. I, th I think you can forgive him some shock and some rude language back in whatever year this is supposed to have been. He yeah. He's not very woke. No, I agree. Well, I was going to say, I, again, this is my... My read of it is I don't think I, – I didn't think like he was being indignant and I didn't think it depicted him that way. I thought murderous mystique, right? She's just – an evil character is going to kill people when it's convenient to kill them. And she always has. So I don't know. You don't, you I, don't think this was supposed to make his murder seem okay? No, I don't think so at all. I think – let, let me read the actual words from – from what he says no, right he before says, he's No, he says some terrible things. He calls her stump uh, – what, strumpet and a – Pervert, yeah. perverts. I'll yeah. have you whipped and rolled in the gutter where you belong. And then he's dead. This is my perspective, right? You could say some nasty things that doesn't justify murder. So when I saw that, I'm like, yeah, he's saying some things he shouldn't have said, but it doesn't justify taking a knife to his neck. I think this is supposed to make Mystique look more heroic Better. than she should. Yeah. Again, you can read it different ways. I didn't see it as heroic at all. She just flew at him and <laughs> took out his neck. But Well, she stabs him in the throat and says, husband see me. Yeah, and then turns Which, again, feels self. like a identity declaration that people online are going to choose. It seems like it's know. put in there to make people online I saw online it as see me, I'm a murderer. I'm a blue-skinned, blue shape-shifting murderer. That's all I read it as, but I, I see how we disagree on Multiple this. Multiple readings. Yeah. Moving forward. So, now Destiny gives birth to Kurt. He's still blue, still has a tail. Uh, the doctor recommends, he doesn't freak out the same way. He just says, oh, well... These things happen sometimes. Maybe we should just let the baby die, right? That's what his position is. And this time, it's when Mystique first holds Kurt that she reverts back to her natural blue self, saying that she wanted her baby boy to know her true self. Again, an identity kind of moment. Now is when the doctor freaks out. Villagers freak out. Torches, pitchforks, etc. 
Destiny stays behind, saying, oh, I've seen the future, I'll be okay here. After leaving with Baby Kurt, Mystique learns that the villagers are going to hang Destiny. I don't see how she knows this. It's just stated that she learns it, like, moments later as she's running away. So I don't she, know if she's... Yeah, I don't know if she realizes that. I think it's more like she escapes, because Destiny told her, don't worry about... Uh, I think that they heard the villagers coming, right? And Destiny's like, just go. And then Mystique runs out, and then she's like, wait a second, I don't trust Destiny, even though she said it'd be fine. Well, we get in the narration, it says, I suppose in the end they grew weary of hunting the devil and decided to hang the mother. And then in the panel, in the moment, she says out loud to herself, no, she said she'd be fine. So somehow she learns that Destiny is is in trouble. I don't know what she sees. It's well, not very clear on panel. If you look at the, the if you look at the picture, you see some townsfolk, right? As she, as, panel, page yeah, 26. As, as yeah. Mystique is running away where she's trying to calm down, I guess, the baby Kurt. And over the horizon, you see some shadows, some silhouettes. Maybe those are townsfolk that were chasing her, and then they just kind of stopped chasing her. Oh no, I guess the next they're still they're still following her. It's, it's it's hard to see. Yeah, it's, it has to be done quickly, and I guess I'm okay. They don't spend two more pages filling in the gaps. It's it's it's. I'm just assuming uh, the, telling the story. It's okay. Yeah, I'm just assuming the angry villagers were chasing her, and then at some point they stopped. And maybe turned around, and then she's like, oh, crap. For, for whatever reason, she decides that she needs to go back and save Destiny. She has this baby with her. She says, I can't bring him along on this. So she leaves him temporarily, Is that a fire? So, so, sorry. I think I've got an answer. It looks like they maybe set the house on fire. Could could be. Like, right above the trees, you see kind of like an orange-red. Maybe, maybe that's it. Thing. Again, it, it could be made a tiny bit clearer, yeah. but it's fine. Yeah. But the, the main point is that here's where Mystique puts baby Kurt down at the base of a tree. She thinks she's going to go save Destiny, come back, pick up the baby. She goes back, Destiny is gone. She goes back to get the baby, he's gone. Not a great day for old Mystique. And that's how baby Kurt was really bored. And that's how he ends up going off and having his situation. And later on, we even find out that Destiny set this all up. Yeah, and arranged for what was going to happen. Even the person whose name always messed up. Yeah. She even tipped off, off that, that witch lady, uh, Zardos, where to find baby Kurt at the base of the tree. So Destiny does some really horrible things here. So that's this retcon. We're, we're, we're good at understanding Kurt's real, quote, for now, background. Awesome. Uh, last question, question number four. Why did everyone think that the old story happened when really it was the new story that had happened? Okay, sometime later on, vague later on, I don't know, probably... 20 years ago from whenever now is. Sliding time scale. Sometime later, Mystique finds Destiny again. They you know, resume their relationship. This, the whole story here is that they kind of come together, come apart, together apart, all through history. The two of them adopt a young runaway named Anna Marie. And who is Anna Marie? That's Rogue. A little, uh, not quite toddler Rogue, but you know, young girl Rogue. Destiny tells Mystique she had engineered the whole shebang, kind of you know, admits to all the things that we were saying Destiny did, including setting up the witch to find baby Kurt. Yeah. And then obviously Mystique's upset saying their kid is not a tool, right? There should not be a tool of destiny. Fate. In either big D or small D versions. Right? Yeah. Yep. So these memories so painful that Mystique and Destiny go to Charles Xavier. I don't really know their history. I know they were both villains. I don't know exactly when this happens and their relationship with Charles. Yeah. But they go to Charles. And have these memories removed. And he so removes his own memory of it. Yep. So Xavier does, and he changed. Well, here's some, some details I think are important. He changes Destiny's mind to forget everything. All of it, yep. Now, 
Destiny can see the future, so does she, she see herself learning the... Uh, forget, too complicated. But for now, <laughs> at least, Destiny forgets everything. Everything happened to do with Germany and the baby, yeah. all of it. Mystique insists that she wants to remember that Kurt is her baby. So Xavier leaves that bit in with the warning that Mystique's mind will then, quote, weave its own stories around the imperfections. And that story that Mystique's own mind made to explain this missing part, it's that's what everyone came to think of as the truth. Exactly how she told that story and how that story ended up in the pages of Uncanny 428 or whatever it was, yeah. I don't know. But that's I don't know. Maybe Charles, maybe her mind weaves this bad story of herself throwing the baby over the cliff. And then later, oh, that's clearly Charles, yeah. Charles like reads the mind and that's what he would see, right? Yeah, I just, I'm not sure how the story gets. I haven't read the rest of the issues that come after 428, so maybe it, maybe it's explained there. Pause for a second, excuse me. <coughs> so there it is, Kurt's new origin story. Uh, now, I guess we're supposed to give this thing a rating, right? It's, it's so hard to do it because the retcon itself is what it is. I think Cy Spurrier did a decent job of coming up with an explanation for how it happened. It makes me wonder, does he have some kind of Destiny-esque powers? If, if she is the... The mother, like, couldn't he inherit some sort of... I know mutants don't have identical power sets when they have kids, but it just makes me wonder, like, is this Curious. leading to I mean, to that is certainly another... something that another writer might pick up down the line. As, as far as rating this book, I think the artists generally do okay. They don't have a lot of room to really... Like, there's no big splash pages. There's no room for that. We got to get all this information told. And again, for the, except for those couple parts that I thought it wasn't quite clear what was going on. Mostly, they do a completely fine job. Uh, action is effectively communicated. I like the acting. I like the poses and facial expressions. Maybe I'm copping out here myself. I'm going to give it kind of a plain old 7 out of 10, although I reserve the right to go back and retcon my score in the future <laughs> if I ever feel like it. Yeah, no, I'm not going to go super crazy. That's exactly where I'm at with this because it is just a data dump in with art attached to it. But I thought it was an interesting twist, and I'm always a fan of like a retcon that manages to try to preserve what you read in the past and explain like how you got there, which I thought was cool. Cy Spurrier, I'd say he plays fair, right? Given that he was, I'm sure there was a, I'm, I'm curious whose idea it was to make this retcon happen. It might have been Spurrier himself. It might have come down from editorial. Would love to hear that, you know, that back backstory. Whoever yeah, interesting. idea it was, he makes it work. Yeah, and there's some interesting drama now, right? He knows that that, that uh, Destiny is a mom, but Destiny doesn't know that Destiny was a mom and also seemed to not care. And That's an interesting question. How will this story percolate out? I hope it's not like uh, in the Shazam book, where now everyone in the world suddenly knows to call him the captain out of nowhere. <laughs> I, yeah. I hope the story of how the story gets out is told in an interesting way. That'd be, that's something to look forward to. Yeah. But I think that's all we have to say about X-Men Blue Origins number one. Hope people enjoy it. Next week, we have three more books to talk about. Uh, these are X-Men number 29, where it looks like we get to know Dr. Doom's mutant team. That could be fun. Invincible Iron Man number 13 coming out only two weeks after issue 12. I guess there's stuff that has to come out before the whole... No, end of the whole fall of X, end of the year, Fothox, Rotpox in January. So something's got to come out to make that story work and continue. We'll see what happens. And finally, Alpha Flight number five of five, finishing off that fall of X mini, where we find out what happens to Krakoa North. That sound like a good time to you, Ruben? Uh, yep. Sounds real fun. Captain Enthusiasm. Love to hear it. <laughs> 
Read more X-Men comics. That's what I'm going to say. Do what Ruben said.